open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. We are going to be focusing on verse 7. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7. Um, and uh, what I'd like to do is uh, read the first nine verses of chapter 8 just to get some context. But first, let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that by it, sinners can have life and life to the fullest. We thank you for Ellie, for breathing life into her dead bones by your spirit through faith in Christ. And we pray that um, you would care for her in this surgery and Uh, that it would go well for her, that it's the right thing for her, that you would give her um, a wise and loving doctor and care team and nurses and help around her. I pray that the church would be faithful to love her and that she would be blessed uh, by your presence and by your goodness. Father, help us now to understand your word. Pour your spirit out on us. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know your word and we may apply it to the glory of Christ Jesus in whose name we pray, amen. Well, First Samuel chapter 8, verse 7 is really about worldliness. Worldliness is where we're going to go. Um, and when I say worldliness, uh, I'm talking about love of the world, love for the world that goes over and above love uh, for God. So let's let's just jump into it and read 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. When Samuel became old, he made his son judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel said to the Lord, and Samuel prayed to the Lord. And then our verse for tonight. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds they have done, from the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So again, the key issue here is worldliness, love for the world. Uh, This is the key sin. It's the key heart problem. It is the key issue that leads to this massive fork in the road for the life of Israel. Worldliness makes its first appearance in verse 5. If you just look back there 
briefly again. They say to Samuel, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. They want to be like the nations that are around them. This is the very thing that God said they should never do. Warnings uh, after warnings in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Exodus. This is, you know, the reason why God vomited the inhabitants out of the land in the first place and now they want to be like the very people that they replaced. And it's even more explicit just a few verses later. Um, if you uh, look just after this solemn warning, so, so God tells Samuel to solemnly warn them. This is legal language. Tell them the whole enchilada. And so Samuel does. He tells them how oppressive this king will be, how selfish he will be. He's going to be a bad king, but in verse 19, if you just jump there for a brief minute, verse 19 After hearing this, the people refuse to obey the voice of Samuel, and they say, no, but there shall be a king over us that we may also be like all of the nations. So worldliness is the core issue. The people are actually desperate to be like the world. This is the fuel that really uh, gives rise to this request for a king. They are rejecting their unique place as being the people of God. And when we take this context and come back to verse 7, we, we see that worldliness in verse 7 has at least three results, at least three ends to worldliness. And number one is that worldliness results in rejection of God. Worldliness results in rejection of God. This is first and foremost, it is the bottom line. This is the weightiest reality that we find at the tail end of verse 7. God says, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. At the heart of worldliness, we have a rejection of God's authority. Right, this is the core issue of original sin. Rejecting God's rule for self-rule, for self-autonomy. And it's happening here again in first in verse 7. We've seen it happen with Adam in the garden. And then God takes Israel out of the land of Egypt. They're the second son. And here they are doing it all over again. God took them from the bondage of slavery and they just want to run right back to it, rejecting their unique place as the very people of the living God. So this is the fatal mistake, rejecting God's authority for self-rule and this is in us. You are here tonight. It is Super Bowl Sunday, so you get like an extra bonus star for not being worldly. You're here, but this still applies to us. This is the plight of man. It's the original sin that dwells in our members. It's under the surface, and it's right there just dying to get out. Every person in this room, every single Christian without exception understands and knows the plight 
and pull of the sin of worldliness. We hear her calling to us. She wants us to return. It is the proverb that the dog returns to its own vomit. We are tempted to go back to this. Why? Why are we tempted to go back to the world? Well, the simple answer is that the world is where we are from. So in a sense, it is our first love. It's why Israel wants to go back to Egypt. They were born into Egypt. They know the leeks. They know the onions, but they also know the slavery. And when they're thinking about leeks and they're focused on onions, they'll take the slavery. They want to go back. So this is where we learned it from, right? From our former place in the world. The world is where we perfected our own individual brands of self-autonomy. And the world is the perfect place for it. It's unique for every individual. Ultimately, we love the world because we love self. We worship self. And the world is the, ble- the best place that frees me to love me, to express my self-autonomy. This is why unfiltered, unbridled self-expression ex- self is the mantra of society today. It's everywhere you go. It's pushed everywhere you you look, and original sin is the reason why. And it's also why, like Israel here in 1 Samuel 8, 7, that we too are tempted to reject God for love of the world. Worldliness is, it's like carbon monoxide poisoning. You don't smell it. You don't detect it. It's deep underneath it's a silent killer and it puts you to sleep before you even realize it's happening and it snatches your life from you this is a good picture of worldliness and the problem the problem is is worse than we're inclined to believe we've already seen this in verse verses 19 and 20 after this warning of how bad this king is going to be it only ratches up their demand for a king no we will have a king to rule over us so that we can be like all the other nations they can't hear it they can't listen to it it just grows louder and louder so don't let that be you don't be sitting here tonight and thinking to yourself just because you showed up on super bowl sunday you got this one licked Right? It is a silent killer. It is a silent killer. And remember, worldliness is a rejection of God. And this is how God perceives it. That's what He's telling us here. It's how He feels. When you feed your impulses to love the world, God sees that as a rejection of Him. Does that matter to you? Does that penetrate your heart? If you cheated on your wife, married men, would she not be devastated? Of course, she's going to be rightly devastated and hurt because you have betrayed her love and the covenant bond that you made with her, right? God is showing us that's how he feels when we give ourselves to worldliness so 
protecting our fidelity to God in the face of worldliness is very important to the Christian life. So what are some of the measures that we can take to ensure that we are guarded from this deeply rooted sin? Well, I'd like to give you just a taste, right? A few things, some structures that you can take with you to ponder and to think about how you might be given to worldliness and and what to look for. So, you know, one of the things that comes to my mind is reputation, all right? This is um, a big form of temptation into worldliness. Sinners love to be glorified. That's a close-to-home sin for me. We long for the world to look at us, and we want the world to be impressed when it looks with whatever it sees. Perfect family, perfect marriage, perfect children, perfect dress. Right? We can get wrapped around the axle of worldliness through reputation. So that could be a very silent killer. It, it's usually the kind of thing you need someone else to point out to you. It's so silent and deadly. Of course, there's escapism. We love to escape into the world because we don't want to obey God. It's too hard. It's too much work. That's what's happening here with Israel. They don't want to be governed by the law of God. There are too many commands. There are too many rituals. There are too many sacrifices, too many festivals, too many rules, too many regulations. Let's just go back to Egypt. Or better yet, let's, let's just have a king rule over us so that we can be like all the other nations. Wouldn't that be better? That's what appeals to us when it comes to escapism. We don't believe obedience to God is better, and we escape into a world that lets us have our cake and eat it too. Of course, there are endless forms of escapism, sex, drugs, alcohol, leisure, travel, entertainment. It's an endless smorgasbord in the world that is put in front of you and you can just take right it's just like going into the kitchen opening up the cupboards and taking right everybody has their favorite place they go to in the kitchen don't you you know where the good stuff is and you go right to it and you get your favorite thing and you're happy the world is that to a sinner who wants to escape from obedience to God. Now, not all of these things are sinful in themselves. There's nothing sinful about entertainment in itself, but we elevate it to sin when we love these things over and above the love of God. That's the measure. How can I test whether or not I'm doing that? Because that's the the thing. How do I know whether or not I'm loving the world more than I'm loving God? For that, I give you the wisdom of one old Puritan, Thomas Watson. Thomas Watson has a book uh, called All Things for Good. It's about the doctrine of repentance. And, And by the way, if you're looking to get into the Puritans, I would highly recommend Thomas Watson because 
It is both theologically rich and, brace yourself, easy to read. Easy to read. All right, so if you, if you don't want to get bogged down in some of the complex styles of the Puritans, but you want to see what you might be missing out on, Thomas Watson is a great place to start. So what does Thomas say? Thomas gives four indicators to check whether or not your love for God is under threat. I'm going to run through these quickly. I'm just trying to prime the pump. This is supposed to be a devotional. So number one, have you lost your taste for God? That's the question Thomas asks. Have the promises of God lost their sweetness? Do you even bother to think about them? Very appropriate to the sermon that we heard this morning. Number two, have you lost your appetite for Christ? Right? If you've lost your taste for God, this is the, the natural progression, right? This is the natural progression. You lose your appetite for Christ. So, have you lost your desire for Christ? Have you lost your desires to have communion with him in the scriptures, in prayer, right? Number three, has your appetite for the world increased? Do you find yourself sinfully in love with the world more and more? Are you wasting more and more of your time on mindless pleasures over and above your pursuit for God? Does God take a back seat for just foolishness, for wasting time? How much of that are you guilty? Everybody's guilty of that, all right? We're, everybody's got a smartphone in their back pocket. I don't have mine. But everybody has instant access to that dopamine hit. Everybody does. How much control does that have on you in your life, right? This could be a measure. This could be a measure. Number four, have you lost your desire to worship God? Right? This is your purpose. It is the reason for your existence. And now you have been made right with God by the blood of Christ. And have you lost your appetite to worship him? Does your heart not sing the praises of God? You know, the place that nobody else can see. What's going on there? Are you singing praises to your God? Do you have little desire to gather with God's people to worship this God? Do you prioritize everything else over that? All right, point number two. Worldliness results in rejection of the church. So we have rejection of God, now we've got rejection of the church. That's what's happening here. Israel does not want to be Israel. They're sick and tired of it. They just want to be like the other nations now. That's why in verse 6, uh, the, the, the word says this thing displeased Samuel. Right? He's displeased. Yes, he is displeased because there is a personal aspect to this. They're rejecting him as judge. They're rejecting what he's set up. He's, he set his sons up as judges, which, by the way, was a bad idea. Nowhere in Scripture did anyone ever appoint a judge. That's always been God's job. So even Samuel is out of bounds by setting up his sons to do this job. Right? So it is personal. That's why God says, hey, they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. God's, God's trying to love Samuel through a difficult situation, but that's not the only thing displeasing Samuel. He knows there's a bigger rejection. There's a rejection 
of the church. And it's not just Samuel. Anybody who identifies with the plight and the purpose of the church would have been hurt, right? He's not the only Israelite who is hurt when they see the people of God begging to be like the world. Anytime you see that as a Christian, it hurts. Anytime you see the church being overrun by the world, it hurts. So Samuel wasn't alone. And to make matters worse, the rot happens from within. It happens from within. Look in verse 4. Then all all of the elders, all of the elders gathered together and came to Samuel. All of the elders are guilty of rejecting God. It's not just some of the leaders. It's all of them. All of them come to put their stamp of approval to sign the paper in order to reject God. They're all in it together. And it comes from the top down. We're talking about the leaders. They want to be just like the world. It's a rejection of the church And we see this everywhere we go today. This is not just a problem for Israel in the days of the judges. Some churches will go to any any length in order to look and feel just like the world. Most of us have experienced this in some form or another. That's why we practice what theologians like to call the regulative principle. Right, The regulative principle. In short, that means that Scripture and Scripture alone regulates how we worship our God together. So our worship isn't just conservative for conservative's sake. If you were a visitor coming into this church, you might think that. Wow, these guys are pretty conservative. They're, they're really on this side of the spectrum. They're very conservative. You might, you might think that, but that's not it at all. It's a protection that we put in place in order, against, in order to guard against our natural inclination to worldliness, and that applies to the elders too, because the rot happens from the top down. We want to guard against that. And so, that means that Scripture regulates our worship. It's why we practice expository preaching, it's why you heard a sermon on 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and into chapter 2 today. It's why we sing songs that are rich in theology. It's why we pray so much together. If you ever wonder why, if it ever gets on your nerve, like, wow, wow, why do they have to read so much scripture? This is why. This is why. Look, I, I'm with you. Like, man, sometimes it can get long. It tests my window. Like, I have a limited window, too. we we got to push. we got to push it because we got to keep the church pure. So this is what we do. It's why we do it, right? There is literally no end to how far things can go, to how bad things can get. And why is that? Why, why does God let it go so far? That's point number three. Last point. Worldliness results in the judgment of God. Worldliness results in the judgment of God. This is the 
be careful what you ask for. You just might get it, warning. Back in 1 Samuel 8, 7, look at, God, look at what God says in the opening of verse 7. Obey, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. This is God's judgment. This is him giving the church over to her sin. And he's had enough. Look in verse 8. God says, According to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, God had put up with it long enough. He's done, and he's giving them exactly what they want. This is a classic example of Romans 1 before there was Romans 1. How does Paul know that God gives people over to their sin? to do what ought not to be done. Well, he probably read 1 Samuel 8 and all of the other examples that we have in the Old Testament. God's patience has a limit. And that's why we see churches that were once faithful become unrecognizable blemishes of their former selves. I vacillated whether or not to share this, but I'm going to. Just last week, I was telling this to Julian, I think. Just last week, I, I saw a transgender woman preach. It was a short sermon. A transgender woman is a biological male who identifies as being a woman. So... He dresses like a woman. He doesn't even want me saying he. He's got his own pronouns that are respected from the pulpit. This transgender pastor is, well, he's not a pastor yet. He is the very first student to be ordained as a transgender person in this particular denomination. How does this happen? How does this happen? Worldliness results in the judgment of God. That's how. And unless we repent, we too can send ourselves into this unrecognizable state. And even worse, the unthinkable reality of being in the hands of an angry God saying, away from me, I never knew you. close but let's flip over to Philippians chapter 3 so if you have your Bibles um, if you would flip over to Philippians chapter 3 just want to give the Lord the last word and then we'll close together Philippians chapter 3 verse 13 this is a good New Testament example from Paul of what's happening here In Israel, in the days of Judges, verse 17, Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And here it is. Here's here's why you keep your eye on those who walk according to the example. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, 
And oh, here's God's judgment. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and, their, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things, worldliness. And, and, and see what Paul does in verse 20. He transitions away from that. How do we, how do we get away from worldliness with minds set on earthly things? Look what he says in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That's the solution, brothers and sisters. We encourage each other in the reality of verse 20, the hope to actually see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. How real is that for you? Do you ponder it? Do you relish it? Are you, are you calling up your brother excited about it? Oh, man, we're going to get to see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. He's going to give me this new body. He's going to give me a mind and a heart that will help me understand and know all the glories of his wonder. We, we have to encourage each other in that in order, in order to be delivered from the worldliness that lives in each and every one of us. And it is my prayer that's where God finds us. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to be found there, to be found in the grace of Christ Jesus on that great and awesome day. Teach us to keep our eyes on Christ and the hope that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus, the day that we are transformed, that day that you take these lowly bodies and that you give us a glorious body like yours. Help us to stay fixed on it and deliver us from the worldliness that remains in us that this church may be built up in love for the glory of Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.